Welcome to the BG Podcast, conversations at the intersection of business, community, and public policy from the Austin metro and around Texas. You can find this episode and prior recordings at www.binghamgp.com slash podcast and on iTunes and Google Play. Hello, this is AJ Bingham, CEO of the Bingham Group, and our guest today is Perry Lorenz, the principal and founder of Constructive Ventures. Welcome to the show, Perry. Well, thank you. I'm happy to be here. So you've, uh, you know, we've been interested in having you on the show for a while now. You've been involved in some significant projects in the downtown Austin area, uh, and you've been involved in real estate, the real estate market here in Austin for 35 years or so. Um, you know, I know that I think there's some misconceptions that we talked about before the show about what your roles have been. I thought you were just a developer, uh, but I think it goes a little more, it's more nuanced than that. And I want to get in discussion about that and your projects you've worked on and talking about just your take on where Austin's going in terms of the development uh, community. Before we get to that, I want to get into your background and let people know a little more about what brought you to Austin and uh, how you came to be in the, in the position you're in today. Okay, well, I'm happy to do that. I'm glad it's of some interest to somebody. <clears throat> I went to high school in uh, Houston, Texas, and uh, Decided to go to the University of Texas. I came here in 1966 uh, when it cost $150 a semester to take an entire load. Uh, it was easy to get into. If you graduated from an accredited high school, you were virtually assured entrance into the University of Texas. So that was not a big deal. Uh, I was a product of the 60s. I got a BA in English. My friends and I all of us, we didn't go to business school, even architecture and engineering was suspect, so it was an interesting time. Um, I went to San Francisco for a couple of years, I guess 69 to 71, where I was uh, ran a print shop. Uh, came back here, taught engine mechanics at Austin Community College in the early 70s, was a bartender. Uh, when uh, Soap Creek Saloon opened, I was the single bartender that night, and I would have never guessed I would end up in the real estate business. But I did, and uh, in those days, real estate downtown was not very important. Um, every Class A office building built in Austin before the mid to late 90s uh, was foreclosed upon 100 Congress 111 Congress 301 one American Center all of those were failed projects because no there were no uh, tenants for these buildings someone would get a law firm of, that wanted 60,000 square feet they'd build a 400,000 square foot building and then nobody else would come and they failed and during that period from late 70s until mid 90s if somebody owned property downtown and they wanted to sell it, it was very difficult for a purchaser to get financing, and particularly smaller parcels um, that were, quote, illegal lots, meaning they hadn't been done exactly to the subdivision ordinance, or they had floodplain issues, or were underparked, or had a use that didn't match the zoning. Nobody would finance that stuff. So if there were sellers they had to own or finance it and provide terms or nobody could buy it and i took advantage of that the uh, all of those problems with real estate and assembled tracks um, that you couldn't touch today for a hundred times what i paid for them and it's not that i saw what was coming it was just a product of the of the time and uh being in the right place is it really good deals or just kind of like what 
what did you foresee in assembling these tracks? Well, I, it, it was a, if you could buy a crummy house for $1,000 down and $120 a month, and you looked at it and you said, well, I could rent that side for 90 and the other side for 110 then it was simply, uh, there's a phone in the background, there's simply uh, no reason not to do it. And it didn't, it didn't seem particularly risky, and it just it was almost an IQ test. Why would you pass on something like that? And yeah. so down mostly in the southeast quadrant in the early days, uh, the central business district is where I took advantage of those sorts of deals and accumulated uh, really hundreds of thousands of square feet of dirt. Mm-hmm. What, just, just for reference sake, like what part of town, like in terms of a street, street name? They may, they may well, I, the southwest corner of Cesar Chavez and Red River, which is now in the hands of WeWork, which is the single, oh, yes. the single, <laughs> big, the single biggest tract on Waller Creek. Uh, Superior Dairies, which I bought with Robert Knight from the University of Texas, where the Fairmont Hotel is. Mm-hmm. Uh, the property due south of the Fairmont, we called it the IHOP parking lot, that long undeveloped track that's used as a parking lot. Um, houses at the end of Rainy Street, uh, now we're in office buildings going up that Endeavor's building. And then quite a bit of stuff on the east side as well. So again, there was no competition to buy that stuff. People didn't care much about it because what are you going to do with it? There's no significant development taking place. After all, Austin uh, people came here to get an education and had a good time and then had to grow up and go to Chicago or Dallas or Houston and get a real job. Mm -hmm. So it was really fallow for a long time and then, as we all know, look what happened. So so when did that shift happen? When did you start seeing when people were... Um, I mean, I guess for the longest time, right, the real yard uh, condos for rest in peace was... See, even that was... That was was, even that was late in the game. That was not not early. I think, and, and I have to give Robert Barnstone credit for that, that there are a segment of people out there that want to live downtown, that like the busy, dense lifestyle, the serendipity of seeing people on the streets and uh, just an active downtown. And it was really his idea, I bought the land, but it was his idea to build a Nakona, which was the first high-end, at the time we called it a high-rise, project, the first one in 35 years in Austin, and everybody told us that it was a recipe for bankruptcy and disaster, and it would never work, and uh, Robert convinced me that, look, there might be seven or 800,000 people around in this area, but we only need 100, so surely somebody, and he was right, mm-hmm. and that, that was a successful project, and to me that started it. I think we bought that land in 98. Uh, I think we sold our first units late 2001, right uh, after 9-11. Anyway, I think that really was the beginning of it. And the whole foods market in that part of town, they opened their flagship store that you know where that is. It's not currently the one, but it was at 5th. It's 6th. It's 6th of the Yeah. And people were attracted to that. And that whole lifestyle of stopping after work and if you see a friend, stop and talk to them. Now later, with the newer Whole Foods, you see somebody there you know and you stop for a glass of wine and then you buy a piece of fish and some green beans and go home and cook it. And then tomorrow you do that again and the next day you do that again. And it's sort of, that Whole Foods market became a scene that's not to be underestimated and I think it's, 
I know we developed spring and I'll bet you half our buyers, what they were really excited about was that Whole Foods market. And uh, success bred success and it sort of became the hub for active residential. What's been just, so you, you know, obviously you've been in the market in Austin for several decades now and what currently, I mean, as of today, we're going through, uh, you know, council, city council is going through discussions about the land development code the revision. The last time the code had been revised was in 1983. So you've, you've seen kind of a, you know, how was the guys, what was the land development code or dealing, dealing with the city of Austin like prior to 83, the last, our last code? And then the evolution of it to date with this new council on 10 one Well, uh, when I was first active, um, in tr not not accumulating real estate, but in developing developing it, and I think was probably the Nikona of the late 90s. And back then, almost everything that was substantial required was not administrative. You you had to appear in front of the planning commission, uh, the downtown commission, the city council. You had to deal with neighborhood opposition if it was an area neighborhoods didn't want to see development. It was a very difficult thing and it was a big deal. And back then, council members ran at large, all of them. And the focus was always on downtown. Downtown is where the lion's share of the ad valorem tax base is. It generated the money. It generated the headlines. It was a big deal. And so it's different than it is now when, when we have people that run single member districts. But at any rate, um, back then, I think the notion was no, don't try to swim upstream. You're not gonna get to build a high rise at 7th and Blanco. Don't go try to do that. You're not gonna get to build over the aquifer. Don't go do that. And if you're in an area where the neighborhoods, Austin Neighborhood Council has a lot of standing and they do in all neighborhoods, and that they're absolutely dead set against your project, you probably ought to go do something else. Um, if you're willing to provide community benefits, wide sidewalks, pedestrian protection, pedestrian furniture, try to hide your parking as much as you can, and do things that meet up with community values, you can get through those struggles and, and end up with a project that's a winner. But again, out-of-towners that come to Austin and say, it's my land, I'm going to do what I want, get out of my way, uh, they get handed their hats. Um, and I think all of this code stuff we're talking about now is to try to get those, every, get everything from being a one-off fist fight to being largely administrative. Let's, here's where you can do this and here's where you can't do that. And if you're willing to abide by the rules, you can go do it and it's administrative and it isn't a big confrontation. And I think what scares uh, neighborhoodites is they feel like their neighborhoods are going to get overrun and without getting into what's good and what's bad about the code the attempt is to make it a little more straightforward and not have these one-off fights every time somebody proposes a substantial project I know that's the hope I know that this is also the second our second uh, go of uh, kind of land development revision so it seems um, at least for us you know it's, it's going on right now there's been discussions at work session um, at least council seems to yeah, sort of a good pace, uh, though first reading, is, first reading isn't until next Monday, the 9th, December 9th, so we'll, well, I guess we'll see how that goes and on to the spring. And just, so what, can you, what's been, I guess, the most difficult challenge you had in the last, you see this last decade, right, or as we close out this decade in, in developing in Austin or building in Austin? Or maybe anecdotally from, you know, just colleagues you've, you've had, what's been, I guess, the most challenging project? Well, a lot of, 
what you hear from all developers is, oh, the city, oh, the city, all the fees, all the threading the needle through all of the various departments, and it's, oh, it's so difficult. And, and there, yes, there's no question, but that's true. And I'll probably get in trouble with my developer friends for saying this, but if you really understand the community values and you understand what's in everybody's head at City Hall and in the permitting department, and you carefully approach it, you can get to yes on a lot of these issues. If you go down there and you say, I want all of these 10 things, and you submit them with your site plan, you're gonna, and you don't have no idea whether they're for them or against them, you just submit a site plan asking for the world, well, you're gonna get into this back and forth and just go on forever. On the other hand, if you go in and you find your case reviewer and you sit down and you say, look, I want your support. This is not going to work for me or anybody else if we don't have the support of your staff. If we ask for these seven things, are there any of those you see that you cannot support? And they'll say, well, we'll do one, three, and five, but we're not going to do the rest. Well, then submit one, three, and five, and don't go for the moon. And it's it's just not as bad. It's To me, a lot of this is making excuses about how difficult and impossible it is down at the city. And I, like I say, that doesn't set well with my developer friends for me to say that, but, but I believe uh, it doesn't have to be as impossible as the reputation leads you to believe. Mm -hmm. Have you done, just to kind of backtracking, have you done any work outside of Austin Metro, or has it all been on folks all, in Austin? All, all very central. And uh, so that's, that's what I know about. So c compare it to Houston or Dallas, I don't know. Compare it to out in the suburbs, I just don't know. So again, my reference is pretty much Central Business District, and a lot of that uh, skews my perspective because that is a part of town where density is encouraged, where you're not really stepping on anybody's toes about impervious cover because you've already got 100% impervious cover. Uh, you're not talking about blocking views because there are view quarters that are well-defined, and so you already know that issue. And the neighborhoods don't fight you very much. Although, I can say when we developed the Nakona, we had a pretty good, we had a lot of opposition from the old Austin Neighborhood Association, old West Austin Neighborhood Association. And in the end, we got the votes and we got it done. And I think nobody will claim they were hurt by it. Even as recently as when we did Spring, um, the Austin Neighborhoods Councils believed that somehow Spring was going to forever destroy the single-family complexion of Old West Austin. Uh, and the Spring's on what Fifth and uh, Bowie. And Bowie yeah, downtown, just, yeah, right? Yeah. Kind of corner for it's kind of corner to Whole Foods. Exactly, the main right. Whole Foods. So. Yeah, and and the point of view of Old West was Old West Austin Neighborhood Association at that time was that was the buffering between the Central Business District and their neighborhood. That being, that including the Clarksville. Yes, okay. Clarksville, Clarksville Terrytown. Yeah, and those are my friends. I, I'm not at war with those folks. I mean, I've made peace with them, and I understand their point of view. But if, if I really thought that was going to forever destroy the single-family complexion of old West Austin, I wouldn't have done it. Mm -hmm. So I think no harm done. I think uh, actually, in the end, those folks appreciate all the development that's taken place there, all the retail, the restaurants, again, the Whole Foods market. Uh, I think that plays into their hands and certainly hasn't hurt their neighborhood. It's interesting too, the idea of neighborhoods. I know there's a burgeoning kind of neighborhood, downtown neighborhood community, uh, Dana, uh -huh. right? the, or yeah, downtown Austin Neighborhood Alliance or Association. And, you know, just again, 
20 years ago, I think some of the downtown issues would have been a problem. There's a building, something in noise, mm-hmm. right? Or like concrete pouring, those kind of things. And I, I had the experience my last, my, my, my last uh, job where, um, you know, we were working on the late night, da- late night downtown concrete pouring ordinance. And that had been ongoing for several years. Um, but, you know, just negotiating with some of the, with some of the occupants of buildings around uh, the core about, you know, pouring at night because in Texas or most other places, pouring in the day, you can be, you can do it, but con- you know, it's also hot, right? And it's, you know, for, for workers- It obstructs day, traffic. That too, because it's continuous pouring. As you know, the limited to know about this, it's continuous pouring, 10, 20 trucks lined up, ready to go. And more so in our market now, we all these, all these trucks need to go X, Y, Z places. And so if you get trucks lined up, you need to go on your property because you may not get them for a month at that. So that being said, you're seeing more, at least with that case, you saw these issues you probably would have seen, you know, 10, 20 years ago where you had a lot of folks who were concerned about just their ability to sleep or fun, you know, kind of just park and everything else because all the construction going on, even though they're in a downtown market uh-huh. and, you know, any big city you go to, there's noise. Well, and a lot of, a lot of those folks live in buildings that are there and successful because they were poor at night. What's what I mean? Yeah, I think it's, <laughs> it's just, almost done. Yeah, you go to you know, a major kind of developed city as a major de- or developed urban core, and that's just kind of part of the city life. And like, this is yeah. the verbs. Yeah. yeah. What uh, what trends? I, mean, I guess what trends are you seeing as we go into this next next decade, just based on your experience in the in the Austin market, in terms of what's going on, going on the market, companies coming here. Well, I think I think. Uh, a couple of really big problems, and then it's no mystery to anybody. Number one is affordability. Uh, it, it, the problem with Austin is the $240,000 houses uh, in Bolden Creek, Travis Heights, and elsewhere cost $875,000. Mm-hmm. And we have such a finite number of inner city, close in, older neighborhoods that people love. They love bungalows built from 1920 to through the all of the that century, um, and there's just so few of them, they get bid out of sight. And so it, it just sort of starts to generate sprawl and generates traffic. And so I think it's, I don't know what the solution is. I think the new building code believes that it, it will increase density. Um, and I think it will too, and I think that's an attempt, but I really, the, the demand is so outstrips the supply that I don't see a happy ending. I think it's just gonna to continue to be the way it is. And for a lot of folks, it, it's not terrifying. If you're from sleepy little Austin, Texas, like I am and other people are, it, it kind of is, is scary when it takes you 40 minutes to get across town and it used to take you 10, but I think that's, that's a problem. And, and again, that leads to the second big one, which is transportation. And I think the mass transit above ground, um, like we've got a little bit of, it's not working very well, is so disruptive and so hard to sell to the voters. When you start talking about taking a lane out of Lamar or Guadalupe or Burnett Road or any major arterial to put a train on it, and you think of how long that's going to take, the security of access and dust and debris during construction, all that disruption, and, and try to tell them that that reduces traffic, that's just a really tough sell. So I don't know 
how we get there from here. I think what I'd like to see is something much more ambitious like subways, but that, <clears throat> that's kind of a dead end right now because it seems so expensive. But there's a contingent out there that's going to push for instead of a $1.8 billion project, how about a $25 billion project that understands that this city is going to continue to grow? Um, so I don't know. So again, affordability and traffic. Yeah, I guess the, the, the perennial issues for Austin, too. Yeah. So, yeah, I think uh, it's going to be one the LDC process, and hopefully that comes to a, you know, I think a good conclusion in the spring of 2020. But also, to your point, this, I know, I mean, I've, I've been to some of the meetings about this more comprehensive regional mobility bond and substantial mobility bond, um, and I'll be coming out in the near term, I know, as well. Um, so hopefully those things will help alleviate some of the oh, what's coming in Austin. I mean, what's been building in Austin for for several decades now, numerous decades. Yeah. Well, Perry, thank you for your time. Uh, great having the show, and look forward to having you back on in the first in the future. Well, good. I hope it gives us some value. Thank you for listening to today's BG podcast. You can find this episode and prior recordings at www.binghamgp.com/podcast and iTunes and Google Play. Subscribe to stay current on future posts.